Oh. I was waiting on that. Can we say the serenity prayer again just real quick? Dear God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Good evening, family. My name is Ryan Corvo. I am a grateful, recovered alcoholic. I'm so just ecstatic to be here tonight. Um, I want to thank the Grace Group for having me. Uh, I want to thank Josh. Wow, he lo I lost him again. He's like a he shoots in and out. But there's wherever Josh is. Thank you um, for uh, giving me the opportunity and asking me to even think. And it's always an amazing thing when anybody anywhere wants me to do anything. Um, prior to Alcoholics Anonymous, that was not the case. I want to thank all my friends. Allison's the crier. I just want to tell you that. But she may have wore off on me. Um, I want to thank all my friends that are on the screen. Many, yeah, many, many men. I've been to the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Or sitting here. I'll get a little anti-venomous as my water and I'll get cranking. Many, many men on the screen I've been through the book with. We've been in the trench together. <clears throat> We've lived together. We've done just amazing adventures together. And it's truly indescribably wonderful. Um, I, I want to tell you that I have a home group. I'll get cranky here in a second. God's going to take over. Ryan's going to leave because Allison and I just prayed. I have a home group. It's the Pleasant Valley Group of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. We meet on we meet on Zoom at 7.30 on Monday night. We have the numbers if anybody would like to come and join us. It's Eastern Standard. Um, we have a home group uh, in-person meeting on Thursday night. Um, it's at 7.30 as well. It's an open literature meeting. But these guys, they can't get anything out of the big book, so we just stay in the big book. So that's where we're at there. It used to be a 12 and 12. It was an as Bill sees it years ago, but it's just transitioning. To, now we have two big book studies, one in person and one on Zoom. I love the book Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, it's uh, it's it's revolutionized my way of thinking. Um, I would love to tell you what it's done for me. Um, I'm sure I'll talk about some of that tonight. But more importantly, what it's done for everybody around me. Uh, my sobriety date is June 10th of 2009, and for that day, I'm eternally grateful. Uh, I laugh because my one of my guys I sponsor, my dear friend Tom, was having all this issues with his sobriety date. And he just realized a while back that he'd been saying his sobriety date wrong hold for many, many years. And he come to learn into fruition and figured out a different date. And I know when I was new, I thought the same thing. And then one day I actually found papers and realized, oh yeah, that's the right date. <laughs> so there we go with that one. Um, and I want to, uh, I want to talk tonight. Uh, of course, I'll tell you what I, I was like and what happened and what I'm like today. Um, I'm sure it's going to come out. But I want to talk about more of a celebration of you than me, um, because it takes you and I to spell the word unity. Without you, there is no I. It's that simple. You leave me with I, and I'm a dead man. If I'm with you, I'm safe and protected. If you're new on the screen or you're just coming back from, um, you know, an experience that you don't want to have anymore, um, I want to tell you you have the best sobriety date you're ever going to have. You don't ever need another one. And I want to tell you if you're sitting in this room on this night, you don't ever have to drink again. You don't ever have to put that poison back in your body again. You don't ever have to live that way. And if you're on the screen, you have lots and lots of time, and you're feeling really, really bad, I can tell you you're 12 steps away from a brand new life. You're 12 steps away to absolute freedom. Freedom that my wife and I, well, I'll just stick to me, but I, what I get to enjoy each and every day. And it's really, truly cool. What even when I say even when it's bad, it's good. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Even when it's bad, it's good. 
and uh, I get to do some amazing things. And I guess um, what I'd like to tell you is about the last 48 hours of my life. You know, I talk a lot about the carnage of the past. Hopefully I won't do too much of that tonight because I like to get to the good stuff because, you know, I'm, I'm speaking to you with uh, on the eve of 14 years of continuous sobriety. And for a guy like me, that's a miracle. Um, I don't have 14 days and I don't have 40 years. But what I can speak to you today is right where I am right here, right now, today. And the and almost 14 years that God has graced me. And back of that, there's a whole lot of L-I-F-E, an absolute wonderful experience in Alcoholics Anonymous over those years. Um, it's, it's been a blink of an eye. So if you're sitting here new tonight and you're thinking, gosh, I could never have what that guy has, or I could never have that. I remember being new and hearing a guy with that many years and thinking that I would, that's impossible. I can't do that. I mean, I got a coin on the front of my big book, literally, that says 10 minutes. Because before I found that book, I couldn't go 10 minutes. And that's the God's honest truth. I'm just leaving it at that. You, if those of you don't understand, understand. For those of you who don't, I pray you never do. Um, but my last 48 hours of my life looked like this. I go to work. Um, I, I, get, I get into work. Uh, I have a job today because I'm employable with alcoholics because, because of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I'm rolling in yesterday. We're trying to get out of uh, uh, Allison's getting off. I'm getting off early because I'm coming to the state of Delaware where I was born. We have a family home here. It's my most favorite place on God's green earth to ever be. And uh, I absolutely love it. And during that, I got to spend time. I got to leave my the, the people that my employees that work with me. Um, and I got to I got to come here and travel peacefully with my wife. I got to talk to so many of you on the phone all the way across that eight hour trip. I got to come to the house where I had my end. Um, I'm right here in the state. I got to see my dear friend Eldon, who stuck his hand out to me 12, 12 years ago. And we've been, me and him and Allison have been inseparable since. He's 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 one of our dearest friends. Um, just this morning I got to go out and put out crab pots. And uh, this afternoon, all day, my wife and I sat on this beautiful beach with fishing poles in the water. I've talked to many of you, I sent many of you text. You guys sent me text. Um, and we just had a day that was beautiful. I got to cook my wife's supper. And then at, right before this, we were self-aware run riot running out to check the crab pots. Now, what's that mean? Well, we go out to the crab pots. We had to go out and wade in the water and we get out there and we didn't catch anything. That's one of these times it's slow. It doesn't matter. But on the way back, I see this fin and a bigger fin. And I don't say anything more. And I was like, come on, Allison, let's go. It was a, it was a shark or a stingray or something. And we laughed all the way to the beach. Then I got to come in here and pray with my wife. And I got to get on this computer and be here with you tonight. Now, what does that mean? The guy talking in AA talk. That means before Alcoholics Anonymous, before June 10th of 2009, none of what I told you would ever happen. None of it. None of that was possible. And I had absolute peace and joy over these last 48 hours. I haven't hurt anybody that I'm aware of. I haven't offended anybody. And that's just 48 hours of my life. And the last 14 years has been a carbon copy of that right there on most days. And that's called peace. Because one thing I know about Alcoholics Anonymous is that hope is found here. Hope is found here. You're in this room tonight. You don't ever have to live the way you've been living again. If you got that big old life, don't get complacent with him. Keep moving. I, I mean, I, I see that the men on the screen have changed my life. They call they 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 call me sponsor, um, 
But you know what? We're just right here together. We learn together. We grow together. We walk together. We talk together. We eat together. We go through tragedies together. We go through triumphs together. And we get to watch, raise kids together. We get to do all of these things because of God and Alcoholics Anonymous. So I hope to get to talk to you a little bit about that. Um, what I do need to get cranking on is the white noise of alcoholism. When I sponsor a guy, I describe it as white noise because when you first get here, like me, the only way I can describe active alcoholism in my train wreck end is like going to a TV, cranking it up on high, pulling the cable plug on it, and that white screen goes, that was my life. And all that stuff that I thought mattered so much, and then my world was over, I thought it was it. Gig is up. And that's what the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous is there for. You know, I was born in the state of Delaware, and um, I moved to the state of West Virginia when I was a really young kid about four years old, three or four. I was born to beautiful parents. Um, I, was in a, I was the youngest of six kids um, and uh, four sisters and a brother. And I, I went to West Virginia and my mom and dad are educators and we had humble beginnings. You know, my wife, my mom, and uh, dad didn't have a lot of money. We drove the old panel station wagon with the wood grain on the side of it, no hubcaps. And it was just, you know, and as a child, I always felt less than. I didn't feel like I could meet up. I didn't think I had like everybody else had. And if I only had. You know, if I only had that, I'd be good. I can remember having my mom drop me off a block from the school where I'd walk to school because I didn't want anybody to see the car we drove. I can remember walking through a neighborhood. Um, I could walk through this neighborhood and, and, and see all these other kids doing so much more than I thought I could. If I could only have what they had, I would be okay. I can remember being five years old in that house in, in West Virginia. My dad was watching the news and he's a, he's a cheap guy and I'm a cheap, I mean, he was a cheap guy, he drank cheap beer, he still is. And he's not an alcoholic. Uh, none, neither one of my parents are, and he had, he was drinking some cheap slits or something. I was bugging him and bugging him, bugging him for a drink. And I, I talk about this in every AA lead I've ever given, I think, because it, it means something. Because I bugged him enough to my dad say, "Here, take a drink." And it was a half a can of something warm, and I took a drink, and it was really, really gross. It was just like Mister Yuck Green Sticker. And uh, I put it down. He laughed, and he got up and walked out of the room. But a little guy, five, six years old, I picked up that can and finished it. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I was an alcoholic from six years old, but there was something in that can, something that I seen others doing that really had my attention. And I can remember thinking when watching all my uncles and all those other people growing up and they'd have their parties and dance and cut up. And I could always think that I, one of these days I'm going to I'm going to do that. Boy, did I get my wish. Um, I traveled on through uh, a life and uh, my first dose of uh, alcohol poisoning was at age 12. It was here on this beach. We had a homeless guy by me, by me and a cousin and a friend of uh, fifth of 151 rum here in Milford, Delaware. And I remember taking the back roads through and I remember taking that. And it was the first drink was disgusting. We had some kind of red Kool-Aid and I took a big, another big handle off that big jug and it hit. And for those of you who know what that means is it hit. It was the effect produced by alcohol. At 12 years old, I had it. And I thought, oh my gosh, I will, I cannot wait. I mean, and I, I come back to this house and I'm sitting in front of the room where it happened. Uh, I drank that night. I don't even remember it. I had a fatal dose of alcohol poisoning. And, and what I can tell you with that is, is that for those of you who have had it, understand what I'm saying. I woke up the next morning, I had a sunburn as red as a, a tomato. And then, uh, um, uh, I, they say I turned white. My sister kept me alive all night long, and I was sick for three solid days. I really thought I was going to die, and I and I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed to that God that at that time, please don't let me die, God. And um, 
guess what? God met, met his end of the bargain again. I, I didn't die, obviously. But the very next week my sister got married on this beach, I swore I would never drink again. First solemn oath with alcohol. And I had many, many, many after that. I swear I'd never do it again. And every single picture that I have of my sister's wedding is me guarding the keg. Um, so with that being said, my, I, I, I drank alcohol. I mean, I, I, drinking took on a more important, exhilarating part of my life. I, in high school, I had great grades, did all the sports and did all that. And by the end of high school, I did none of that. And all I did was drink. Um, and and that, it, everything that I had was, was replaced by this. And with that being said, um, some things happened uh, after high school. My sister Linda got in a car wreck. Um, she was on life support. And after 30 days at the Washington Hospital Center, we had to pull the plug. And, um, and I watched that monitor go. And uh, I can honestly tell you that that was the day that I turned my back on God. I, if there was a God, there's no way in the world that would be. Uh, no way could take her. If you only knew my sister Linda, she was a little hippy dippy chick. She was loving peace, love, fried chicken kind of girl. She loved everything and loved her. She would get out of her car and move a turtle off the road. And um, that changed my thought process of what God was. You see, at that by that time, I've been drugged to church as a child and yelled at and screamed at behind a podium, and the vengeful stuff and the lightning bolts and all that. And I could never meet up to any of that. And I just said, enough of that, I'm out. Um, and then my drinking progressed. And a lot of things happened between that date and the day that I got sober. Um, some things happened. I had some kids. Um, had a divorce and just a lot of things occurred and none of it really matters tonight, but my drinking took on a more and more proportioned part of my life. At one point I slowed and moderated because I took a big job with a, with a, a big steel union and, and, uh, but I had all kinds of other outside issues on the, on the, on the thing on the scene. And um, so I really wasn't any kind of a physical sobriety whatsoever during that time period. But what I'll tell you is this, at the end of my, um, active alcoholism. This is what it looked like. I was on the edge. I, I had everything I ever wanted. You see, I told you what, guys, when I come through this, 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 as a child, I'd walk to school through this neighborhood and I would see all these houses and all these things. And I would see if I can only have, if I can only have this house, if I can only live over here, if I can only have this, this job, if I can only have kids, if I can only have, as a child, I pictured my perfect life. And by the age of 30 something, I had that perfect life. I bought a house in that neighborhood I walked through as a child. I had a prestigious job. I had more money than you could ever need. I had two cars in the driveway. From the outside looking in, I had a beautiful life. I coached soccer. I did all kinds of stuff. I was in the paper all the time. But if you only knew what was behind those doors of that house, you know, it was an absolute house of horrors, guys. Things were rapidly declining, and, and uh, I was in a very bad, uh, very bad marriage. Very bad things were happening, and, and, and so what I, <clears throat> I had got this bright idea one day that I was, I was drinking, I was getting taken across the carpet for drinking so much that I was going to get a little pint of absolute vodka because you can't smell it. <laughs> Probably can if you have a drink or two. Um, but for me, it was the crack of liquor. I'll just say that, and um, and from that day until June 10th of 2009 was a fast spiral descent into hell. Um, the pint turned into two pints, which turned into cases of airplane bottles, which turned into hiding the waste pipes and all those things that you do. The numerous trips for the police to my house, um, you just, you name it, you name it. And uh, for those of you who understand what I'm saying, you understand what I'm saying. Um, pretty soon that was over and um, 
And all along the way, my children were in my home. All along the way, my children were there hostage with me. You see, I used to come in here and think I never hurt my child, children. I used to think that I, I used to think that I was a, that I was just such a great father. I used to think all these great things about me. But what I can tell you is what I found out when I, when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous was I was a thief. I was a thief. And the worst thing I ever stole in my life is the smile of insecurity for my children. I was never present. I was there. I had a total inability to be a father. I would show up to their little schools with liquor on my breath. I'd pick them up for daycare. I'd drive them in the car. It's amazing something really, really, really bad did not happen. And, and things really did bad happen in their world. Some bad things happened. And, and towards the end of that, uh, I had a knock on my door. And, and a guy come to my door. And it was the Department of uh, DHHR. Uh, and I had emergency protective orders, and they were taken from me. Um, and rightfully so. And there's a whole lot of noise behind all of this. I, in 2008, I ended up in a treatment center in the state of Tennessee because my employer at the time helped arrange it. I went to this employer and uh, um, in order to get him off my back, that's what I did. And I thought I was going to get out of that. And I went there and, and in a few short months of getting out of that treatment center, um, I had, phone, had a phone call to go back to, to uh, a phone call from an attorney to go to go to court. I didn't know about it. And um, I, I just snapped. Um, and uh, I went. I went to this hearing, I got taken to the mattresses over it, and then I found myself at the liquor store. I thought, well, I'll buy a fifth of liquor because that's uh, that's what it's going to be. Um, uh, I don't drink anymore, so this is going to last forever. And, and by four o'clock, I was there with buying four more fifths. And the, that nine-month period until June 10th of 2009, I did more damage than I ever did in my life. That's just a snapshot of the craziness of my alcoholism. And I've got stories that can make you cry like a little girl in a pink dress. Um, the absolute insanity and terror frustration, bewilderment, and despair that comes with alcoholism. For those of you that know and understand what I'm saying. Um, and uh, what I found is somewhere around June 8th of 2009, I, I had been over, to, I mean, prior to that, on Memorial Day weekend where I'm at now, I picked up a uh, DUI in the state of Delaware. It was a 0.38 on a Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. I, I used to say that was my, uh, my GPA, which was actually a 3.6. Allison always corrects me. Um, when I graduated college because of the degree you guys helped me get. Um, but um, that was right here in the state of Delaware I'm sitting. So this place has got a, a special place in my heart. And uh, so with that being said, I, I'm, I'm back at my house. I'm done. Um, there's nobody around me. The curtains are drawn. By this time, my father's coming to my house every two or three days, beating me on the window to see if I'm still alive. Um, my mother would send me there, uh, send him there to check on me. And I would open the door and, and say very bad things to him with booze in my hand and leave me alone and all those things. And uh, he would leave. Um, and uh, But the day came where I could no longer get drunk and I could no longer get sober. I could no longer take the pain. It was that simple. And the, and the pain, pain overcame any drink that I could ever take or anything else I could put in this body. And I went to my bedroom to lay down to go to bed. I went to my bedroom, went down and laid down and went to bed. And I got a big old bottle of these big blue pills that I had because I had anxiety. I figured, you know what those are. And I, I poured a half a bottle of those in and doused it down with a, a big liter of vodka. I'd been as much as I could chug. I put it up to my chin and, and laid down to die. It was a suicide thing. That's what I was planning on doing. And uh, somewhere along there, God woke me up. and It was dark. And I thought that's what death was. And my hand hit something and my hand hit something. And, 
and I found a light, turned it on. What my hand was hitting was a Cochran Lock 40 cal. That had been laying by my head. Um, what I did was decoff the gun and take another big pull off the bottom, lay back down, but I woke up the next morning. I don't know how. And um, Bill Wilson describes it better than anything I could ever describe. Quicksand stressed around me in all directions. I'd met my match. I'd been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. And somehow or another, there was a little card on this refrigerator of a guy, one guy that I met at a treatment center was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous that worked there. And I called this guy, and he, he truly today I know is my guardian angel. Because he eloquently 12-stepped me for over two hours on that phone and said, if you can make it here till, to get here tomorrow, I'll have you a bed. And my daddy took me to the treatment center one more time. He dumped me at the door in my car and said, I'm done with you, son. Probably the next time I'll see you, will be in a pine box, but I'm going to live my life. And that man cried. He told me he loved me. My dad doesn't cry, and he doesn't tell you he loves you, but he was truly telling me goodbye for the last time, and he knew that, and he let me go. I went through that six days later from a horrendous detox. I woke up in the state of Tennessee, once again in the same place that I'd landed before, and boom, here I am. I traced all that back to the very first drink from that court date, the first drink that I took. You see, I have a problem that centers in my mind rather than my body. I have, I have, I become um, irritable, restless, and discontented and untreated alcoholism. And I am 100% powerless over alcohol. And I have an, I have an allergy to alcohol that's coupled with the phenomenon of craving that will, that there's no amount of human willpower in my life or existence that can overcome or stop me from getting that first drink. I would swim the Ohio River in the middle of January to get to the bottle on the other side when that craving hit me. And I, my mind would tell me I could make it and I would drown trying to get to it because that's the kind of alcoholic that I was. And um, I, I, they kicked me to a bus stop at 11 o'clock at night. I drove, a, a, it, was a, it was a three and a half, four hour trip back to my house. It took seven or eight hours. The one person picked me up that, that would pick me up. Um, and my uncle finally answered the phone, my uncle Pat. And he cussed me from Charleston, West Virginia to home. And uh, dumped me at my door and he told me under no uncertain circumstances what I've done to my family, my life, my children, and everybody around me. And I needed to hear every single bit of it. Then there is no chapter in this book called Into Scare. And I really tried to fast track all that insanity to you guys tonight because you know what? That's all that is, is the absolute insanity of alcoholism. An alcoholic in his cups is a very unlovely creature and that's who I was. When I got home, I was stuck in that house that I thought would make me happy and usefully whole. I had everything I ever wanted. I had everything I ever wanted. It was all gone. I was of the existence of a hermit living inside with my curtains pulled. And there I was home all by myself. And I crawled back into the rooms of Pleasant Valley group. I come, I parked around the block the next day. I didn't have a driver's license, but the state of Western hadn't taken it from me yet. And I walked down the block and there was one woman sitting on the corner of my home group that I absolutely could not stand. Her name was Sherry. And I could not stand Sherry because she was that girl with the big book. And she would say, hi, how are you doing? But it was different this time. When she seen me, she got up, ran, gave me a hug. She said, oh, my God, Ryan, you're still alive. We thought you were dead. We've been praying for you. Welcome home. Buddy, get, get in here and get you a sponsor. You don't ever have to live like this again. I promise you, if I can do it, anybody can. And, you know, that night I walked in that door and I walked into that home group and that home group of the Pleasant Valley group didn't have these out on the table 
if there was a new guy around. As a matter of fact, if there's a new guy around, they took him and put him in a closet because they didn't want to run off the new guy. You see, there was a lot of nice, well-meaning people. They talked about bees and weed eaters and tending cows and take the pain to the pain, don't go away, and just keep coming back. It works if you work it, and I'd ask what it is. Well, just work it, and you'll find out, and, you know, all those things. But the thing is, I used to really think really lowly of it, but what I know is they were the most well-meaning, well-nicest people that never told me to leave when I come to their meeting drunk and disruptive. They would say, please stay. Buddy, just keep coming back. Just keep coming back. Well, what's that do? Keep coming back. I keep coming back and I keep getting drunk. And uh, it had nothing to do with them. But a guy met me and said, hey, Ryan, this is Jim. Jim, this is Ryan. Here's your sponsor. A few days later, that man called me and said, partner, I think maybe you're supposed to call me. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> so I started talking to this man named Jim. And uh, things happened. I got that proverbial phone call from the courthouse one more time from my lawyer said, you got to be in court. And my feet walked out the door. By this time, I had supposedly started working the steps, guys, and, and I just kind of, you know, mouthed the first three steps, and I didn't really internalize it. I didn't really mean it because I didn't really understand it. I didn't know. And Jim, and, and uh, what happened was I was walking out the door at nine in the morning to go back to that same liquor store with the keys in my hand, and I stopped on my steps. And I pulled a little Motorola flip phone up, and I, you guys had given me numbers, and I started calling people. I called five people and the fifth person answered. It was a guy named Mickey Delaval. He's still sober. He was my he's was my first great grand sponsor. And he uh, he told me one thing, my first truth in Alcoholics Anonymous. He said, Ryan, I've watched you come in and out of these rooms and make a game of this for so long. And you're going to die, bud. He said, unfortunately, I can't help you. And he said it just basically about like that. And what he said was, I can't help you because he said, you're an alcoholic like I am and no human power could help me. I suggest you hit your knees in that house you're in and pray to that God and ask him for help, even if you don't believe it, because if you don't, you're going to drink. And the only thing that's going to keep you from a drink is that. Just start praying, bud. Click. And he hung up on me. And what he did was he told me the truth because he watched me come in and out, in and out, in and out. And, you know, I did that. And I hit my knees and I asked God for five minutes. I said, God, please just take me five. Just get, take this from me for five minutes. I mean, my mouth slobbered. My nose is running. My hands are shaking and trembling. And I had a, a profound, profound life changing spiritual experience in my living room. I came, came to and came to believe right there in my living room. I met God on my knees, right where my TV sits. When you come in my house, I can point to the spot where it occurred. And when I did that, I got up off my knees and the, those other four people I called called me back in rapid succession, one by one by one. And nobody knew what was going on when they hung up, my phone would ring again. And then after I hung up with that last one, a buddy of mine pulled in the driveway that I'd got sober with and stayed sober when I didn't. And he said, hey, Ryan, you want to go to a meeting? And off we go. You can bet your patootie the very next night, that was October 21st of 2009, my fourth Step that I've been working on, the most honest and thorough written four step I could have at that time was done. And we sat at that dining room table and I found out some unpalatable truths about Ryan Corvo. I got to see for the first time who I was, what I was, where I've been, what I've done, and what I was going to do about it. And I told that man everything I could possibly tell him. And that man shared stuff with me out of his experience that absolutely the only person on God's green earth. That's what I think God puts sponsors in people's lives for, because we don't get to pick them. God puts people on our path because that man had stuff in his, his life 
that totally had I had in my life that nobody had dealt with. I'm talking about some bad stuff, guys, and I'm going to leave it at that. And he had it all. And he matched my story with his. What, ha what, the, what happened from that was when he sat with me that night, he said just a few things before he got started. He said, Brian, we're going to do this. He said, I've been sober for X amount of many years, 27 years. He said, I don't know how to stay sober. I don't know how to stay sober. I just know that this book works. We're going to follow this book and we're just going to do what it says. Nothing more, nothing less. We're not adding to it. We're not taking away from it. We're just going to do what this book says. And he said, I'm telling you it works. And we did. You see, when we did that, again, this, this experience of mine grown. And he asked me one thing that night. He said, well, Ryan, he said, he said, the only thing I ask of you is that, that you carry this message. You carry this message to another alcoholic and you try to help other alcoholics. And if you do that, you'll never have to drink again. And from that day to this day, that's what I've done. From that day to this day, that's what I've done. At six months sober, those same people were assassinating me because I had a spiritual experience in the Pleasant Valley group. We're saying, don't talk about God. Don't talk about the big book. They're running newcomers off. And I was ready to just, just, just quit Alcoholics Anonymous. I was done. And my, that same guy that pulled in my driveway walked up to my house at 1130 at night and said, Ryan, I want you to hear these guys. And he had a CD of Larry Scott and Chris Chris Raymer speaking in Razorbeck, Iceland. And for the first time I heard what I was feeling was true, what I knew was right, was happening, and what I was experiencing was real. And I walked over to my computer at two, one or two in the morning and I sent, I sent a little email out. I sent this email out to the because Larry left his email on there and the thing went boing. He answered me at two in the morning and he says, Hey, buddy, what's up? And that was the email that shot that heard around the world that forever shifted my existence. It shifted the, the existence of so many people on the screen and so many people cleared that, that girl in Australia bobbleheading right there. Because we got to work, and I, and my uh, and Jack told me that uh, a great grand sponsor, Jack, Mick was my great great grand sponsor, told me don't worry about that. Stick to the big book, the twelve steps, twelve traditions. You sponsor from the ground up. You can't change anybody, and you'll turn yourself. You'll look around in a couple of years. You'll have a happy, healthy home group. And my God, do we have that today, guys? I absolutely love my home group, and and I I, I can't even tell you how much it means to me. It's a place that I call home. If you don't have one of those places in your world today, please find one. Please find one and become active and get in the middle of it. I know so many of your all's home groups because I get to come to them. And you have what I have, too. It's just the coolest. It's the coolest thing ever. You know, we was in my home group the other night and we were talking about a in two wise, and we were talking about a happy solution in that first page. And, and truly, guys, God and Alcoholics Anonymous is the happy solution. You know, I heard a lot of people. I heard a, I heard a whole lot of people. You see, what I know about alcoholism is just this. It's like the rock in the pond. You take that rock and you throw it up and it hits the water and the ripples go out. And that's every single person on God's green earth that I affect in active alcoholism. From the person I encounter at Walmart, to my neighbor, to my dog, to my children, to my family. But what I can tell you today after taking those 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous is just this. You take that same rock and you throw that rock up and it hits the pond and the ripples come out. That's all the beautiful, beautiful goodness that God allows me to affect people positively. Every day of my life, because God and Alcoholics Anonymous, I'm no longer a burden to society. I'm a friend. I'm a father. I'm a husband. If I tell you I'm going to be somewhere, I will be there. And I've hurt so many people. And I got to talk about a few men's really quickly. I wish I had two hours to do that. But I will tell you this. 
my sister, my sister Julie, um, I borrowed her credit card when I came here on, uh, on that Memorial Day weekend, and I borrowed five thousand eight hundred to some dollars because um, she had a credit card in my name for emergencies. I think it was around that same time frame of this trip or another trip. Anyway, I borrowed her credit card. What that means translated in real Alcoholics Anonymous language is I, I came over here with a guy and we stayed drunk all weekend and it was snowing in July. You know what I mean? And we spent 5,000 bucks on my sister. So I stole that from her and I run her credit card. Out. And she was done with me. It was Thanksgiving time. She was coming in uh, and, and, and I told Jim, I don't know what to do. What am I going to do? Here she comes. I, I, I can't tell her because last time she told me was that don't ever speak to her again, you know. And uh, he says, well, how much money do you have? At that time, I was completely, I'd lost my job. I had nothing but a pittance unemployment. I could barely pay my mortgage on my house. I had nothing. I had no driver's license. I had nothing. I had a $50 left over the last two weeks to buy groceries or whatever with. And he said, good, take that 50 and give it to her. And he, and he said the, the magical words that every A sponsor, that's a good one, says. When I said, what do you mean, Jim? I don't have, that's, that's only 50, that's all I got, all the money I have. He said, Ryan, she don't want your money. She wants her money. But what I want you to do is when she tells you to get away, you leave with that $50 bill and you and you listen to her and you, and you tell her you harmed her. And this is how you harmed her. And you shut up and listen. And you ask her how, you, how that made her feel. And you shut up and listen. And you ask her, is there any way you can make this wrong right? And you shut up and listen. And I did that. And she did the exact same thing. She walked up to me and says, I don't want everyone to see. Get away from me. I'm so. And the $50 bill came out and she stopped. You said demonstration of goodwill demonstrates a change because I'm a taker. I take everything in the world from you. My act of alcoholism. I'm never a giver. And it was something different that she seen in me that day. And I told her, Julie, I have harmed you. I took your credit card. I stole this money from you. And you know what she told me? You pompous beep, 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 beep. Do you think it's about money? You stole from me, all right. My autistic nephew Ross was here that day, was here during all that. And she told me what I did to him. And she told me what I did to my parents. And she told me the countless sleepless nights that I caused my entire family and my children. She told me how she was sick of my mother having to raise my kids and how it was just such a blah, 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 blah. She said, I don't want your money. I said, Julie, please take this money. And she said, whatever, Ryan. She took the money, put it in her pocket, and walked away. And I, she didn't speak to me no more. And my sponsor said, good, good, it worked. Now, every time you go to work and you get a little money here, you put, you put a $20 bill in, in a card and you send it to her. You go to a dollar store and buy you a, a pack of these cards and send it to her and get you a book of stamps. If you can't afford stamps, they bought me my first book of stamps. And each and every time I got money, I'd put it in there and I'd stick it in the mailbox and I'd put the flag up and I'd just send it. And it got to the point where I didn't even think about it. And I kept a list of how much money I was sending. And God now colleagues anonymous with a man that was unemployable that had no job paid off 5,000 and some odd dollars in a year and a half. And before I was halfway through, she called and said, Ryan, I've got your cards. Ross really loves them. You don't have to say, she said, you don't have to send me no more money. You don't have to send me no more money. Just, just, just do it. I said, Julia, I'm going to pay you off. And I paid her off. God paid her off. And today she and I are the executors of my father's estate. And we're close as can be. And I'm my, my autistic nephew, Ross's. Uh, godfather and, and and Alice and I get to raise him and, and raised him we cut his hair we do all that and he's it's just an amazing thing I uh the guy that came to my house with a gun the guy that came to my house got my kids I wasn't my kids weren't there the first time he came and I answered my door with a gun in my front and a bottle of booze and I said buddy either get off my property or whatever. I'm not going to get into what I told this guy that was a state of West Virginia worker. And he started crying. He ran to his car and took off. His name was Greg Haddix. 
I was sponsoring a guy about a year and a half sober. He worked at Goodwill and I was waiting on him to get off work. I walked into a tractor supply and in comes in Greg Haddix. And he goes, and he looks at me and said, Greg, can I have a minute of your time? And the man looked at me and he said, get away from me. I said, please, please, please. And I pulled him off to the side by the flannel right there at the exit door of, of tractor supply. I said, Greg, buddy, I've harmed you. Please, please give me your time. And I told him what I did. And he, under no uncertain circumstances, told me what I did. And I asked him if there's anything I can do to make this wrong right. And the man started crying. He said, Ron, I don't know what you've done or what's happened to you, but you're not the same person I know. Whatever you're doing, please keep doing it. And please, please try to help somebody that's, that, that's been through what you've been through. And I said, and, and don't ever stop. And I said, Greg, I give you my word. I'll do my very best to follow through with that. And from that day to this day, I've done that. And that day to this day, if I see that man in town, he goes out of his way to come and say hi to me and give me a hug. When COVID pandemic hit, because of Alcoholics Anonymous, I got, a, I got a, a college degree because you guys took me 100 miles a day each way because I had no driver's license, dropped me off like a baton, and I got a degree in healthcare. And when, they, when COVID hit, his wife called me to set up a testing center for his, her daycare they ran. And she says, oh, Ryan, I'm so grateful that we have you in our life. And I'm so grateful you can help us through this. Because of God and Alcoholics Anonymous, I got to do that with her. There was a man that, that, that I, I was in men, the most powerful men's that I've ever made has not been on any list that I've ever, I've ever written ever, ever. I was in Piggly Wiggly several years ago, probably about 10 years sober and, uh, uh, or maybe nine. Um, I'm not sure, but I, I, my Alice and I were at the deli and, and in walks a big old hulk of a man. He walks in and he looks at me and he don't know who I am. And I said, Oh my God, Allison, hold on. I walked down this aisle to him by the bread in a Piggly Wiggly grocery store. And I said, sir, may I have a minute of your time? And I asked this man, I said, do you remember me? He said, no, because years before I bought a tire drunk there. He tried to get me to buy the warranty. And I said, no, I went out drunk, tore up the tire. You're in a prominent tire shop in town. I went back there drunk and cussed him and made a fit in his, all, in his store because he wouldn't give me a free tire and told him I bought the warranty that I didn't buy. I went on for the many years after that, lambasting that man and telling everybody in the community, don't go near him. He's a crook. I told that man everything I just told you. And he, and he looked at me and he smiled. And he said, oh, Ryan, I don't, I don't hold any, any mouse in my heart. He said, no, why, buddy? He said, because he says, I'm a Baptist preacher and God doesn't allow me to hold hate in my heart. He said, son, I, what you don't understand is I, I forgave you that very day. And he's removed that from me. And whatever you have done, I can see God in your eyes. He said, I see God in you. And thank you so much for coming to me tonight because that's how big God is. And he started crying and I started crying and he picks me up, this big old hulk of a man and we're bawling like somebody shot us in the foot in a Piggly Wiggly. I, and, he, and he tells me he loves me. And anytime I see that man now, he tells me he loves me. And I go around the corner, I'm down by the Captain Crunch sitting there crying. And Allison comes running down the aisle way going, oh my God, oh my God, are you okay? Are you okay? <laughs> I see, I'm more than okay. I'm better than okay. I have so many amen stories just like that, but I'm running out of time, so I've got to get moving. The most magical thing I could ever do were steps one through 11 meet, and the power gets to be transferred into step 12. Step 12 is, 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 has changed me as a man, as a human being, and as a person. I've got to watch these men sitting on the screen get their kids, either get their kids back or be with their kids and become fathers. I've got to teach their kids how to ride bikes because I couldn't do that with my own children because I was a drunk. You see, God gives you do-overs. 
And through working with others, I get to live my life again. I have been reborn through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. A whole new life has been given me. A new life, which is indescribably wonderful, can't be described. And as I got travel through this and I get to help others fast track their lives through all the things that I've done wrong, short of picking up a drink in the last 14 years. When I sit down with them, when they get their tiki torches and their $5,000 cash in their hand going to the lawyer to fight their ex-wife, I say, oh, stop. Let me share this with you. You see, I spent five years doing that in Alcoholics Anonymous, an ex-wife, bankrupted myself into Chapter 7 bankruptcy and hit my knees in that same spot and said, God, please help me. And you did. And I gave it to God. And I ruined that relationship forever with that child. But today I get to get others overcome their difficulties. And I get to watch them get these big, huge lives. I get to sponsor my friend Joel, or he sponsors me, or I don't know what it is. And I get to see him become alternate delegate of Area 53. And I got to be at the first service event talking about, when well, I was a DCM, talking about being a DCM and how to be a DCM. And he had no clue, new guy, starry-eyed, like, what is this service stuff? And today he's the alternate delegate for Area 53. You see, how strong is your link in the chain? How strong is the link ahead of you and how strong is the link behind you? But for God's sakes, how strong is your link? It's each one teach one here. The closest I'll ever come to God is right here, right now with you, because God is in the present. Alcoholics Anonymous in the 12 steps and this spiritual experience that I live, I didn't have. I live every day. Allows me to live in the presence. It allows me to laugh at sharks bumping our feet. It allows me to be here with you right here, right now, in this moment. It gives me the gift that, that, that I am the man that is whole deportment shouts that I have a real answer when you sit across from me. Just like the man that sat across from me, his whole deportment shouted it. That kitchen table that I took that fourth, that fifth and fourth and fifth step and those steps with from that, that sponsor of mine, that same kitchen table sits in that house. And that house that I have today is a house of hope. It's no longer a house of horrors. Any given day, there's cars stacked in the driveway. There's no yelling, there's no screaming, there's no door slamming, there's none of that. I want to tell you really quick, I'm going to wrap it down with this. When I sat down with Jim that night, when I sat down with Jim that night to do, uh, I did a sane sound sex idea. And when I did that sane sound sex idea, I wrote out, um, I did a sex inventory and I wrote out all the things before Alcoholics Anonymous, my relationships were a train wreck. I could not form a true partnership with you. God, opposite sex, or anyone. But he told me that night as I laughed about it and folded it, put it in my book. And I said, that's so silly. I don't ever want to be in another relationship. And he says, oh, Ryan, would you stop doubting the power of God? See, that's your problem. Nothing changes if nothing changes. This whole thing's about change, buddy. You work those 12 steps in that book, and God will bring you to bigger and better things than you could ever imagine. I said, oh, how do you know that, Jim? He said, because her name's Jane. And she's sitting at home waiting on me because she knows I'm out doing God's work tonight with you. She's the love of my life. And I thought, no way, no way, no way. Ha ha. I can tell you today, I met this girl named Allison. I can tell you today, if I, if I only got what I wrote on that same sound sex idea, if I only got what I wrote on that, I would have sold myself short. One of our, uh, one of my things was walking hand in hand, long walks on the beach, common journey love of God. And we have that and so much more. We sit back, we sit together each and every day 
we pray, we do this deal together, and we sponsor many, many people, and they sponsor us, and then we carry it along, and it goes around, and we get to go places, and we get to. You see, I get to be a father today. I get to raise three other boys that are my stepsons as God's complete do-over. I get to raise them. They've never seen me drunk, and I get to raise them to be beautiful, beautiful, beautiful men. One just got married. The other one's in law school. One's a manager of Aldi's. My son Gage that, that, I, that I, I gave away for the bottle is my best friend, and he's getting married, and we're all going to be there. And we get to do that in harmony together. And we get to show others precisely how we have recovered. You see, this is a show, not tell program. You know, if I have to, I, I, I use words, but my actions, the other 23 hours in the day, show what this program does. You see, there, there, this, this big book of Sandy Beach says it even, isn't even the answer. It's a treasure map to the answers. You follow that with a man who's been recovered, has had a spiritual experience with it. And you follow these clues and you take these directions. And then in step 12, a spiritual experience occurs. There's the treasure. And if I stay here and I keep coming to Mississippi in groups like yours, that spiritual experience grows. Deep down inside every man, woman, and child, the fundamental idea of God exists. Closest I'll come tonight, today, or any time to God is right here, right now with you. And I want to thank the Grace Group from the bottom of my heart, that I, from the bottom of my heart to allow me to be of service tonight. And I absolutely love you. And I'll pass. Wow. Oh.